Welcome to Life Beat. I'm your host, Chris Gast, Rights Life of Michigan's Director of Communication and Education. Joining us today is Emily Kroll, our Education and Events Coordinator. Welcome, Emily. Hello again. Happy Friday. Yes. <laughs> it's been a hot week, and uh, we had quite the overheated experience on a trip yesterday that we'll get to at the end. Uh, we're also going to talk today about a uncomfortable topic. Uh, which is using human beings for medical research against their will. Um, so let's start on a little bit more happy note. Uh, the Republican National Convention wrapped up last night to fireworks and Rand Paul getting attacked again. What is it with that guy? He's got like a magnet on him that just draws in like... I would say it's he, because... His neighbor beat him up. He, the congressional shooter that the baseball mm -hmm. game almost killed him. Mm -hmm. he, you know, he had, poor guy. He had COVID earlier this year, too. Everything just does not like Rand Paul. I, it's not because he looks intimidating. He's not a huge guy. Maybe they think he's an easy target, or they just don't like... They don't like what he says. Rand Paul, <laughs> ultimate survivor. Um... But uh, there are a couple speakers I thought we'd talk about uh, who talked about pro-life themes. And uh, who did you want to start with? The, the one who probably got the most um, press going into the RNC would be Nick Sandman. He's not your stereotypical pro-life speaker like Abby Johnson is who appeared just before him. So we could go through it in the order that they spoke, or we... <laughs> Let's go with Nick. All right. Enter Sandman. Um, I'm so glad I got to do a Metallica joke in, my, in our weekly email. Um, so yeah, Nick Sandman. Uh, maybe you want to talk about it, because I'm still angry. You're still angry. All still right. angry. I'll talk about it, because I still. didn't... I had the privilege of hearing it a little bit removed. Um, so Nick Sandman was 16 years old from a Catholic school in Kentucky. In January 2019, he and people from his school visited Washington, D.C. to participate in the March for Life. So that's kind of the setup. So Nick Sandman is infinitely the, the, the young man in the red MAGA hat with the um, counter-protesters, we will say, or the agitators beating a drum in his face. So he purchased a MAGA hat because he wanted to support the most pro-life president in U.S. history. And because he was, he looked like an easy target and he wore a MAGA hat, there were some people that accosted him and his classmates and mm. uh, started, <laughs> eh, starts, they, they tried to pr provoke him into, it seems like they were trying to provoke him into a violent response. And so he stood there. Um, with a smile on his face, and he says he was uh, trying trying to de-escalate de the situation, but the news got a hold of the got a hold of the video, and um, it wasn't just a disinformation campaign because they didn't stop to actually watch the full video and see all of the information. It was a character assassination of a mm -hmm. child because he was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. So Nick Sandman smoked last night. He has since, he and his lawyers, he just turned 18, by the way, so happy birthday, a little late. 
Um, he can vote in November. He can vote in November. Yes, yeah, so he has filed lawsuits against uh, the major news outlets, CNN, MSNBC, The Washington Post. I believe there's six, six lawsuits that he filed. Two of them have now settled um, out of court. He settled with CNN and The Washington Post. And so he is an excellent example of how um, conservatives and pro-life people specifically are targeted by people who don't like what we have to say. You could add about 200 media outlets to that list yeah. if you really wanted to. So just to, I mean, the one thing that bugs me the most is there's people who still haven't watched the videos. Um, and just to set the scene... And this is an argument I haven't heard in some time, but just bugged me the most. It was like, well, why do those kids stay there? Why didn't they move? You know, <laughs> how the March for Life works, if you've ever chaperoned a bus full of high school students and shot your blood pressure up to about 160 over 80, um, you have to, you're, you're turning these kids loose in a major metropolitan area and praying to God that they're going to come back and find you to get on the bus. And so you give them a location. You yell at them and in their face, drill it into their head. Be here at 4 p.m., for example. Get on the bus. Do not get left in D.C. And don't leave your group. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. All this stuff drilled into them. So that's, they just picked the wrong place to congregate. And they were subjected to about an hour of uh, racial epithets and insults from the black Hebrew nationalists. Uh, or excuse me, black is, I, I can't remember the name for him. But if you've been in D.C. and you've walked around long enough, you've probably been yelled at by them. Um, There's actually a group not, here in Grand Rapids. Oh, really? Yep. You know, they're not, they, I, don't, I don't think they've ever done anything mean or violent, but they will yell at you. And, and uh, I remember one time I was walking, you know, to go to a restaurant and just walking across the street and they started yelling at me like, okay, just yelling at people walking by. Uh, but after you've been there for an hour, you know, and then the Nathan Phillips and the drum shows up and antagonizes the students. And this is just why it's so important to not join in on a national controversy until you have all the facts, which should be a important lesson for everyone in 2020. Yes. Unfortunately, the news outlets didn't learn that and they were disparaging his character while he was speaking on the networks that he just received settlements out of court from so um good luck to you nick sandman and your lawyer <laughs> and uh we we hope that this kind of opens people's eyes and it's a hostile environment that we're living in okay i've taken a yes. deep breath let's move on uh, abby johnson uh who was as many people know the subject of the movie unplanned if you haven't seen it go see it uh it's a very poignant movie that, uh, you know, her story doesn't always make a lot of sense. Abby's kind of a character, but um, she was the director of Planned Parenthood doing abortions and eventually realized she just couldn't do it. Part of that was seeing an abortion performed on ultrasound in the course of Unplanned. You can see that and sort of get a experience into what uh, the abortion pill looks like for women at home who are completing the abortion, uh, to put it that way. And... All she did was a quick speech, but she just gave her experience, uh, talked about the issue, and said uh, and called Trump the most pro-life president in history. And I just want to highlight that, you know, and we'll get to a perfect example in a second, is 
Um, that's not just like election bluster. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan was a very pro-life guy. He wrote a book on the topic while he was in office. He was the first. He had to uh, break a lot of barriers down. But uh, him and his predecessor, the two Bushes, are basically in between. Um, the attention to detail was not always there. And the biggest thing is they didn't always use abortion as an election issue. So Reagan did write a book about it. But, you know, as you can see with Donald Trump, he brings it up. It's given primetime, several primetime slots in the National Convention. He's going to talk about it, and his departments are going to actually follow up on it. His nominees, uh, who are in charge of these federal departments, are actively working to make sure that pro-life laws are not only enforced, but improved. And so I think maybe a lot of people didn't expect... Donald Trump to be a pro-life guy even, uh, even though we had pretty good inside uh, intelligence that he was, uh, genuinely pro-life uh, in terms of, you know, most abortions. Um, still haven't got him on the rape exception yet, but that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but people were kind of surprised just the level of detail and effort that he's really put into it. Um, judicial nominees, all these little rules. We'll talk about one example in a second. I can't stress that enough that attention to detail is what really makes him truly the most pro-life president that we've had in modern American political history. Anything you want to add about Abby? Well, I will say this, and this should be encouraging. Um, I have been scrolling through the social media today to see what the reactions to our the pro-life speakers have been the last few days, and there are people who have changed their mind on abortion, specifically because of Abby's, Abby's speech. So um, I read a post from one woman on Instagram today. She's been pro-choice pro her entire life, um, but she heard Abby speak and it moved her and it changed her mind and changed her heart. And now she says she is 100% pro-life. So even, even a five-minute speech by um, a woman who used to be a part of the industry, someone just being honest about the reality of what abortion is and what it does, uh, it changes people. And uh, life, life it, 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 for the first time in a long time, it feels like life is starting to win. It's uh, when you don't talk about abortion and then you explain it to people, uh, it's really easy for them to become pro-life. Uh, because abortion is terrible. Simple as that. Uh, one more speaker we wanted to talk about is the, uh, he's often called the blind Chinese lawyer. His name is Chen Guangcheng. And uh, Mr. Chen's claim to fame is uh, several years ago, before the Trump administration, he was a lawyer and he brought to attention many human rights abuses in China. Uh, especially among them China's one-child policy, which is now a two-child policy. And that policies, practices, and enforcement mechanisms include forced abortion, forced sterilizations, infanticide. Uh, that's still going on today. A lot of people maybe got lulled into a sense of complacency. Oh, well, they modified their one-child policy. Like, yes, they understood the economic ramifications of that, that if you're going to have your population, that's not going to work out well for you in the future. And so they did modify it to a two-child policy um, in, in urban areas, rural areas, they have a little bit more 
relaxation, if you can call a forced abortion and sterilization campaign, if you can call any aspect of it relaxed. Uh, but, and this is really important, and, and Chen said, vote for Trump, he's going to be the only candidate to hold China accountable. He says that with good reason, and this is a perfect example. So Joe Biden, in 2011, actually endorsed the ethics behind the one-child policy. Now, in fairness to Sleepy Joe, um, <laughs> had to do it. Uh, he was telling the Chinese audience that maybe you should reconsider your one-child policy because economically it's not sustainable, and that's true. But he prefaced this minor economic dollars and cents criticism of a campaign of forced abortions, forced sterilizations, and infanticide by saying, quote, your policy has been one which I fully understand. I'm not second guessing of one child per family. One child per family. I fully understand this. I'm not second guessing. That's a Democratic nominee to the, uh, to the presidency talking to a Chinese audience saying your one child policy is ethically okay, but just not making financial sense. Yeah, and you have to remember, this statement that Joe Biden made was after Chen had broke the news that China was forcibly sterilizing and aborting babies. He brought to attention pictures of children that had been born that were being drowned in water barrels. He was bringing up the testimony of family members who, who had been tortured, forcing women to come out of hiding to have their baby aborted because they were going to kill their mother. Uh, this is, it's not just women are willingly complying to this. It really is forced. And so Joe Biden said, I completely understand it after it was made perfectly clear what China was doing. Yep, and just to, just to close it out, uh, really go, you should go back and read Chen's escape. You know, when I say he was under house arrest, that's really a mild way of putting it. Uh, they weren't exactly nice to Chen. They didn't exactly bring him his morning paper and his uh, tea and crumpets uh, at his bedside. And he had to escape as, as a blind man. Um, can you imagine? And he escaped to America, and he's been here ever since. And I, I follow him on Twitter, um, which is kind of interesting because about 75% of the time it's Mandarin, which I can't read. So... <laughs> But a uh, very interesting guy, and you should really check out his story. And just one more example during this convention of the contrast between Biden and Trump and what we're going to get. So uh, what have we gotten with Trump? Uh, important bit of news that has gone, I think, really under the radar. I don't think I've heard anybody really talk about it uh, except for us. But on August 18th, a panel that was created by the Trump administration... It's called the Human Fetal Tissue Research Ethics Advisory Board. I think I got that all right. It's quite the mouthful. Um, looked at 15 proposals from researchers asking for federal funding involving fetal tissue research. And 14 of the 15 proposals were rejected by this panel. The one proposal that was accepted was using fetal tissue that's already being stored in a tissue bank, so no new abortions were going to have to happen to obtain that fetal tissue. And the fetal tissue, and the use of this uh, research was to develop a alternative to a humanized mouse model. 
Now, pro-lifers should be, should be, ought to be familiar with that because back in 2015, David Daleiden in the Planned Parenthood videos and Planned Parenthood, particularly uh, selling fetal liver and thymuses, uh, thymus glands, which were, which are used in mice who have their immune system kind of cut out, uh, a way to humanize the mice so that they have a sort of uh, quasi-human immune system, and you can use these mice in research experiments. So let's recount that. We're killing children in elective abortions, blobs of tissue they call them, and then we're taking their perfectly, perfectly functioning organs and tissues and implanting them in mice to do research. Now, um, we don't really need this for research. I'm sure it's a, it's a handy shortcut, uh, but I think this is a great thing that there is this panel that the Trump administration has followed through on, uh, throughout all this uh, details with holding Planned Parenthood accountable for their human organ trafficking, and the only proposal that they approved was this one, and hopefully it is successful, and there is a uh, alternative that an alternative shortcut to using to chopping up babies and using them in science experiments. Uh, details, Emily, right? It's all details. in the details. Yep, and you can thank uh, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, who's a great pro-life guy. He's the one that appointed this panel. Um, details, these little details that is they go completely unnoticed. Now, it's interesting, Emily, I didn't hear any reporting on it. Now, usually, like, if you remember back to the stem cell research arguments, they're, they're like, oh, well, people are going to die or you're, you're giving up on cures because we need to use this uh, tissue or these cell lines because these children are going to just die anyway. Um... <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a little reporting when the panel was first formed because uh, there were certain outlets that were reporting that the people chosen, it was biased towards life is what they were saying, that there weren't enough pro-choice people on the panel. But after that, which lasted probably about a day and a half and no one really cared, um, they've just been silent on it. So Pro-life win yeah. without having any you know, criticism. And uh, just for the record, since I brought up stem cell research, it's been 19 years now and has anything been cured by embryonic stem cell research? No. Is anything treated by embryonic stem cell research? No. Who was right about all that? We were right. Who was wrong about all that? All the people asking for federal funding, which is what they wanted. So, yay, Trump administration. And imagine four more years of this, uh, four more years of pro-life appointees following through, making sure rules are followed. I can guarantee you, if Biden wins, this panel is going to disappear immediately because the Biden administration is going to be staffed with just 100% abortion advocates all the way through. We just know that's going to be the case. So, a lot of stakes, a lot of horrible things. Let's talk about happy note, Emily. So, Emily, part of your job in the office is to make sure our list of pregnancy centers and the website's up to date. More than 150 locations in Michigan provide uh, free services or low-cost services in just a few cases for pregnancy help or adoption help. 
Uh, these are centers that exist to help people and uh, we're helping them. Yeah. So yesterday we were in Detroit visiting some pregnancy centers. We we visited, I believe, eight pregnancy centers eight. yesterday. It was a, <laughs> in one it day. was a, it was a very tight schedule, and it was warm and sunny and a little uncomfortable. But it was amazing and encouraging to be out and about and talking with the people who are on the front lines for life. Uh, we we can't have enough praise for the men and women who are every day serving those at risk, serving people, and and have dedicated their lives to giving women care and options and literally saving lives. And um, we were very happy to be able to support them financially with some grants to mm -hmm. help them. And uh, it's gonna be going towards helping them with their buildings, helping them with their, uh, their staff and their marketing. And we're just, we're so blessed to be able to provide that to them because they give so much to the men and women and families in their communities. And so here in the office, we spend a lot of times, especially Chris and I, um, going through the, the nitty gritty details of the, the fight for life and looking at uh, abortion reports. And, and it's easy to get lost in the data and the statistics. So it was refreshing to be out, um, refreshing to, to see the facilities and see the people. And I just want to put some encouragement out there. If you are looking for some way to, a, a simple way to get involved with the pro-life movement, um, you have a couple of hours or you have a day a week, look at, look at the pregnancy centers in your area. We have the list of the pregnancy centers that we work with online on our website. And, you know, just get in contact with them, find out what they need. Maybe they need more baby clothes, maybe they need more formula, or maybe you just want to go in and help them, um, help them in their facility, help them ministering in front of abortion clinics, helping them to provide women and children with um, emotional support, financial support, physical support, and just be involved that way. It doesn't take a lot. But every, every hour and every minute that you can give to help these pregnancy centers, um, it's going to make an amazing difference down the road. Yep, this is the, I can't remember if it's the third or fourth year that we've uh, given out these grants. The reason that we do that in Detroit is uh, two main reasons. Number one, most abortions in the state uh, are in southeast Michigan and uh, a lot of those are specifically Wayne County and the city of Detroit. Abortion rates are very high there so there's an incredible need and there's not always a lot of help. Um, you know we used to have a map in the office of all the pregnancy centers in the state um, and you can see, you can see the map online actually because that's how our list is on uh, rtl.org slash pregnancy help I believe. Uh, there are a lot of centers all over in the UP, Northern Michigan, West Michigan, Grand Rapids. There's a lot in the suburbs around Detroit, but there's not a lot in Detroit. There's only a few. Uh, a lot of the centers that are outside Detroit are helping inside the city. And critically, you know, in all these other places in the state, there is a Right to Life Michigan affiliate. It's organized that often uh, helps out the pregnancy center or it's just a way of connecting them in the community. Uh, in Detroit, 
there is no Right to Life in Michigan affiliate. Not for lack of trying or effort. Um, we've been wor we're working on one right now. We're always trying to work on one. It it's just such a hard issue, abortion in the black community, and um, getting people involved, and especially just inside the city, which has had uh, just such a rough go of it for, uh, I don't know, about more than 50 years now. And uh, because there's no affiliate in the city, then we step up as a state organization to help out these centers. Um, these aren't giant grants, but these, these little grants go a really, really long way. You know, a lot of the needs of these pregnancy centers are really basic, like um, flooring, uh, getting a website up and running, getting a sign, fixing broken bricks on, on the ceiling, on the facade outside. Um, We've helped with uh, bus transportation for clients. That's a huge thing is clients can't always afford to get to the pregnancy centers in Detroit uh, if they're not located strategically at a bus stop. Uh, that's really difficult. Um, we've paid to fix uh, flooding and flooring issues and lighting in entryways. Just like really, really basic needs that no uh, agency like them should have to have trouble addressing. And yeah, we did. Uh, we visited eight centers. We actually gave out grants to ten. Uh, two of them we've visited in the past, and there's only so much time we have in a day <laughs> to actually visit them. I thought, I mean, the one that stood out to me the most, I'd say, was our first trip of the day. Technically, three pregnancy centers and two abortion facilities, all within 500 feet. So um, we went to. Uh, there's a street in Detroit where there are two abortion facilities practically across the street from another. Um, one is one of the more high volume abortionists. Uh, and it's very interesting, there was a pro-life sidewalk counselor sitting on a chair right in front of the door. Apparently the sidewalk counselor has struck up some sort of understanding with the abortion facility owner. Uh, and uh, he's able to just sit there and talk to them as they come in. On the other side of the street is a more kind of medical clinic, corporate-looking one. And um, on both sides of the street now, there are two pro-life pregnancy centers setting up shop there. Uh, one is Pregnancy Aid, which is located um, kind of like in St. Clair Shores, that kind of area. And so they're moving directly next to an abortion facility, uh, which is a good thing. They purchased an old dental clinic, um, which is pretty amazing considering the governor just cut their funding through the Real Alternatives program. Um, but there we went in, it was unfinished, their flooring wasn't in yet, and that's what our grant's going to help them out with. On the other side of the street, there is uh, Stanton Healthcare, uh, which is setting up a new center, and they have a couple centers around the country. They've been trying to get one in Detroit off the ground. They have a building, they're doing construction in there. Um, yeah, they need flooring in there yet. They need uh, just the basics of a building. Um, they're kind of interesting because they have this really unique idea of putting in a laundromat there uh, that w people in the community can come use for free. You know, these pregnancy centers aren't just helping out uh, pregnant women. They kind of help out in their community as well. And then also there's the ICU Mobile, which is a uh, really nice RV with an ultrasound unit. So if you can't bring the pregnancy center to the abortion facility in some locations, you can bring an ultrasound machine. Uh, and I just thought that was really interesting. We started the day with, in 500 feet, two abortion facilities, three pregnancy ministries.
Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. In that RV, too, I was speaking later in the day. We visited them again, so we got to see their, them twice, but it was my first time meeting them, so I got to go through the go through the RV and look at the ultrasound equipment in there, and I was speaking to the women who, who operate that, and we were talking about how many women they had been seeing in the last couple of months because of the pandemic, and they have, since they've been out back on the street, they've been averaging about one abortion-minded woman choosing life per week. So they've had a total of nine since they were able to get back on the streets in June after everything was shut down, and yeah, nine lives. That one RV with an ultrasound machine and a bunch of volunteers and people who are dedicated about life have saved nine lives in the last in the last few weeks and that's really just it's amazing to see and we're just so blessed to be able to support them yep and uh, go to our website rtl.org next week we'll have a story up with some pictures and a little more details because we just don't have time to mention all of them we'll have some pictures up on social media on our facebook page today uh, check them out they're great organizations and they really need the help and we're happy to do that all right, that's all the time we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again in two weeks. Have a wonderful weekend.